Family violence is the most pervasive form of violence perpetrated against women and children in Victoria, and it's overwhelmingly committed by men. We know the causes of violence are complex, but include gender inequality and rigid attitudes about gender roles, and can be exacerbated by financial pressure, alcohol and drug abuse, mental illness and social exclusion. The economic cost is enormous, an estimated $3.4 billion in Victoria alone each year. But of course, the impact of violence on the lives of those who survive it and their loved ones is immeasurable. Saturday, June 20, would have been Luke Batty's 13th birthday. His mum, our Watch Ambassador and Australian of the Year, Rosie Batty, marked the occasion with the launch of Never Alone, a campaign urging public solidarity with victims of family violence. She said, I want us all to have uncomfortable conversations about the way family violence services are funded and about the way that police and judicial systems deal with both the perpetrators and the victims of this most pernicious crime. This is All Being Equal from the Melbourne Social Equity Institute. I'm Professor Katrina Skews-McFerrin, and my guests today lead the new Research Alliance for Ending Violence Against Women and Children here at the University of Melbourne in Australia. From general practice, we have Professor Kelsey Hegarty, and from the Department of Social Work, Professor Cathy Humphreys. Hello. Hello. Welcome to you both. Thank you so much for being here for this very important and hopefully slightly uncomfortable conversation. I wanted to ask you to begin, if you could help us by understanding what abuse really is. I guess one of the key messages that I wanted to get across from our research was the fact that when we interview women and when we interview children, it's very clear that domestic violence or family violence is not just about physical violence. And it seems as though that should be a bit of a no-brainer, that people do understand it's wider than that. But when you look at community attitude surveys, recent ones in Western Australia not to mention the national one, it's clear that there's an awful lot of people that don't understand and aren't cognizant of the, the, the ways in which violence and abuse expresses itself. So if it's not just hitting people, what do you mean by abuse? I guess it's the different ways in which one person um, has control over another person. It's usually, but not always, a man over a woman in an intimate partner relationship and that, or in an ex-intimate partner relationship. And it is about the ways in which every aspect of their lives can be controlled and the ways in which this has enormous physical and mental it impacts on their physical and mental health. So I know that that was part of the... Uh, a, a major part of Kelsey's PhD thesis many years ago. So over to you, Kelsey. Yeah. Look, 20 years ago, uh, I was going to measure how common domestic violence was in ordinary women attending general practice. And I went to the measures and all the measures had physical violence, basically whether you'd been pushed or shoved or hit. And when you take that as a measure, then in fact, sometimes it looks like men push women and women push men equally. And that's where some of the gender equality type of figures come from. But when you measure what uh, Cathy's just been talking about, 
where it's combined physical, emotional and or sexual abuse, particularly when you go to sexual abuse and particularly when you go to that combination where uh, there's controlling and coercive um, tactics and that's the scale that I developed to measure all of those types of abuse, then you get a very different picture. And women certainly are more likely to be victims of that combined uh, abuse. What what Rosie Batty's called terrorism, family terrorism. And uh, particularly associated with that is that people are afraid of their partner. And so that's less common for male um, victims to have that combined physical, emotional, sexual abuse and to be afraid. And of course, the uh, severity for women is much worse because generally they're not as strong. So even with the physical violence alone, it is the severity, but also the injuries and also the health impact that's much, much for women who've experienced that sort of abuse. So when you say that you are measuring it, what mm. kind of things were you asking? Okay, so um, many women uh, do not, uh, they're not labelling their relationship as abusive. So they may, um, so, so the way that I asked it was to ask what behaviours was happening from their partners. So had their partner locked them in the bedroom, had their partner... Um, taken their wallet and left them stranded, had their partner tried to turn their family and friends against them, had they had a knife or gun used against them, had they been forced to have sex. So you're answering a question about a behaviour, not a label. Um, Now, some of those women answered yes to some of those awful things, but would still not say they were in an abusive relationship or that they were experiencing domestic violence. So those sorts of questions aren't good uh, for uh, women to be start to reflect on what's happening in their relationship. It's more that they need to think about what the behaviours are and what they're adding up to. So I can imagine that if women aren't even able to report on mm. abusive behaviours, that must occur in a context of society not actually perceiving those kinds of behaviours as abusive. I think that's right, that in fact the um, the community attitude surveys show that particularly amongst young people actually, there's quite a high tolerance of um, the ways in which they see violence and abuse in relationships occurring. And so this isn't across the board, but there's a, certainly a significant minority who are seeing violence in relationships as part of a relationship, that it's been normalised. And I think that that is profoundly worrying when we think about the sort of society we want, both now and in the future, and we have to think about where are young people picking up those sorts of violence-supportive attitudes from. Of course, they might be coming from families where... It's occurring and so that's commonly what, you know, they've seen it at home um, and uh, that intergenerational effect, yeah. So they might be living in a home where there's abuse occurring but it isn't physical, so they're not seeing their mum being hit, they're seeing their mum being controlled and they're seeing their mum involved in a coercive relationship. Do you think, what does it look like for young people then? If, if they're accepting and tolerating these views, what might they be seeing in relationships? I think they're seeing that it's normalised and that it's the way in which stereotypically 
um, masculinity is expressed or femininity is expressed. Mm -hmm. Now, we know that there are many counter-arguments to that, but we also know that we need to continue to be challenging it because it's very clear that the message isn't getting through, particularly when young people are living in um, and living with domestic violence and family violence. But I also think that um, they're often living in contexts where... Um, other aspects of violence and abuse are being normalised, whether it's through bullying, whether it's through what's happening on the internet, whether it's happening through pornography. When we think about the amount of um, the amount of information that particularly young men are picking up for their sexual education from pornography, well, you know that's where you're picking up very violent attitudes, very denigrating attitudes towards women in most of that. So we just need to be thinking more generally about how community attitudes are getting um, circulated and we want respect for relationships. We want equality in relationships between men and women and we don't want um, attitudes that are violence-supportive. So that kind of mutually empowering relationship is obviously what we aspire towards in a world that's evolving towards a more equitable stance. And some people would say that Australians have a pretty masculinised view of what men should be. But how does that look in an international context? Yes, I've done some work with the World Health Organisation and they've recently done a very large study globally to look at violence against women, uh, intimate partner violence and sexual violence. And, of course, the range is from 15% to 70% in some countries, uh, some uh, countries in around India, Pakistan and some countries in Africa. Our prevalence is around, in the personal safety survey, is around 17% by a partner. Um, and really that probably reflects our community attitudes here. Although we do have a masculine culture to some extent, we have probably less um, b bad gender attitudes than in some countries where um, patriarchy is probably more prevalent. Wow. They're profound figures, 70% mm. in some countries. Mm. So Australia is doing okay. How do we compare perhaps to other countries such as Scandinavia where there's known to be more equitable attitudes and, and less stereotyping behaviours? Yes. I mean, I think that everybody looks to Scandinavia for everything and I think that there's some um, issues in Scandinavia because, in fact, uh, although uh, the gender, uh, say, measured by politician level of uh, females in politics and also other sort of equality measures like that are quite good in Scandinavia, um, uh, some of the attitudes uh, may not be. And so it, it, it's when you're looking at a whole array of gender equity measures it's not necessarily that all of them translate into much less violence. Mm. I also think, too, that it's hard to say what a particular Australian male attitude is because we live in a very diverse society so that, you know, I guess the standard um, picture is of Australian mateship culture and a way in which it has developed certain attitudes towards masculinity. But that's also changing, as we know. But also we're a very multicultural society as well. So I think it raises issues about how do we impart messages to both our current 
population as well as new migrant populations around the attitudes towards violence against women. So it raises a whole lot of issues around the prevention agenda that are incredibly important about the sort of society that we want in Australia. Mm. So in an Australian society, is it is it fair to say that this is a, a women's issue or a children's issue or is this also a man's issue? Oh, it's definitely a man's issue as well. Um, I'm associated with the, the White Ribbon. I'm on the research group there and, of course, they've spent a lot of time trying to get men to stand up and, and, and be... Um, you know, speak out on this issue and with some some success. I think it's always a tension because, of course, we don't want men standing up and leading and speaking for women when we're actually talking about gender, you know, equitable things. But I think it's definitely um, men, women and children. And, of course, the the thing that we've started doing is, is starting to look at um, intervening or trying to do early intervention with men uh, and certainly what you mentioned before about respectful relationships in schools, um, it, it's certainly where we can't be just talking to women or talking to children. We need to be, we need to be addressing this issue with men. Mm. I guess one of the key issues that I'm interested in to have a large research program in at the moment is thinking about how we respond to men who are fathering in the context of domestic violence um, and this is men who are perpetrating domestic violence. What are we doing on our men's behaviour change programs or our parenting programs to address the issues for um, men who are violent to their partners and the ways in which that impacts on the parenting of children? That, in fact, it's a really important issue. And many, many men are very motivated to want to do... Um, to do much better with their children. They want to be good fathers and they want to be seen and experienced as a good father. So thinking about the fact that actually um, most of these men or a very large proportion of the men who are using violence against their partners are also um, father, you're having a lot of contact with children. So thinking also about, well, how do we galvanise um, the issues for men who are using violence to recognise the impact on their children. Mm. It sounds as though there's a lot of actions that need to be taken. So now that we've got an understanding of the context here in Australia and a little bit of understanding of how we compare to the rest of the world and indeed of how we are made up of people from all around the world, what is it that you're hoping to achieve through the Research Alliance for the Prevention of Violence Against Women and Children here at the University of Melbourne? Well, we were very excited, and myself and Cathy are, are, are leading this um, across the university, that the university has invested in an interdisciplinary group. So we've got people from law, education, gender studies, criminology, journalism, um, as well as social work and general practice and population health. And really, where this is a wicked problem. It's a wicked, complex problem. So it's not like my area of health is going to be you know, one thing that can solve it or, it, you know, what Cathy's talking about before, intervening with men. It's, an, it's not one of these things that will do it. It's actually us all putting our minds together uh, around the issue and looking at interventions and, and responses that would be better for, for the whole family. And um, so what we're hoping to achieve is by um, joining together 
to really look at some of the more difficult areas. And the things we were hoping to prioritise um, with the Alliance were, was this idea of perpetrators, and we're doing some work in general practice about early intervention through general practice, but also Indigenous populations, because we really haven't... Uh, uh, you know, tackled, you know, it's a sad indictment on our country that the 60-70% level is is prevalent in our Indigenous populations in this country. So there's a lot of work to do in that area. Um, but we're hoping, as I said, as a group to, to end violence against women and children, to be looking at the all the different sectors that need to intervene to, to make it safer for women and children in our communities. Oh, that sounds great. I think we've got a few specific projects and one of the ones that is active right at the moment, apart from the Fathering Challenges project, is also one which is looking at what we call the I Decide project, which is looking at a self-assessment tool for women to be able to think through the sorts of um, the sort of relationship that they're in at the moment. And um, Kelsey's leading on that project and I think it's um, yes, a really a, important one. Yeah. Um, that's an exciting thing because we've d- previously done some face-to-face interventions with women through health practitioners. But, of course, that doesn't reach all women. You know, women who are disabled, women who are rural, women who can't go to the doctor, women, you know, a whole set of things. So we've developed an internet-based safety decision aid and healthy relationship tool where women self-inform, self-reflect and self-manage. So it's targeted, it's, um, they answer some questions, they get some feedback, they then get an action plan with strategies. So, yeah, that's, that's one of the key projects at the moment and uh, people can register for that on idecide.org.au if they would like to do that. Um, and we're currently recruiting women for that. Oh, that sounds like a very important project. I guess the other issue that's been really top of mind, not only for Kelsey and me, but also for the whole of the family violence sector in Victoria has been the Royal Commission. And so we've spent a lot of time over the last few months writing our submissions. And I guess for Kelsey and me, it's about thinking about how the research that we've been doing over many years um, informs the Royal Commission so that that research which has done been been done with you know many of our um, participant organizations and family violence organizations in Victoria, how we can use that research um, to the best effect. And so we've spent a lot of time on you know so we've done briefing papers on risk assessment, on children and domestic violence, on issues in relation to family law, on issues to keeping more women and their children safe in their own homes. So all those sorts of issues, we've put in about 10 briefing papers from social work and Kelsey's put in, you know, a large um, document as well. Yeah, we focused a lot on the health response and um, made many recommendations around that area, but also around the area of technology. Like there is more abuse happening through technology. So the coercive and control tactics we talked about earlier, obviously people can really use technology to to monitor and control and to um, abuse uh, through that medium. But also this um, building on the I Decide project about my relationship, building on technological responses as well. 
Mm. So it sounds as though the research that you've been doing over the past decades has really informed not just individuals who you've worked with, not just programs, but that you're also trying to have an impact at the highest of levels by responding to things like the Royal Commission. Yeah, we're very applied researchers. You know, we really um, aren't blue skies researchers. We're researchers who are very keen to be part of a social movement that informs the policy and practice agenda in this area. And so um, that's why seizing opportunities as they come along seems a very important thing to be doing as part of our work. And I think the Alliance will help us with that because sometimes, um, you know, obviously if it's something to do with health, it's really easy for me to respond and and similarly um, with sector things for, for, for Cathy. But in fact... Prevention is, you know, an area that that we're both um, excited about. We 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 want to support, and so forming the alliance. Part of that was to extend our work in prevention violence against women uh, by connecting with um, others who who um, can play a, a bigger part in that. Yeah. It's wonderful that the university is actually contributing dollars and resources Mm. into this, and it certainly aligns with the values of the Melbourne Social Equity Institute as well. I wondered to finish whether or not I could bring you back to where we began, which is the conversation about what abuse looks like. And having heard all of your descriptions about coercive behaviours and manipulation and stereotypes, they're very big notions. So what would you say to people who are wanting to be able to identify abuse? What kinds of behaviours have you seen in the people that you've worked with, with fathers, with women who've been abused, that people should really be looking for and actually noticing? This is what abuse looks like. I think it's a combination of behaviours. The Domestic Violence Resource Centre Victoria, I chair the governance group there, have a really good list on their website. So if anybody is listening, they should certainly go to Domestic Violence Resource Centre Victoria and 1800RESPECT, similarly, it's the national website and line. They have really good lists. And when people read the scale that I talked about before, the behaviours, some women say to me, how did you know that was happening? And I say, well, it's every every woman's story. It's it's very similar. There are physical um, violence, pushing and shoving and kicking and biting. There is these control tactics of isolating from family and friends, verbally abusing, humiliating, and then there, it's often combined with the sexual violence. And then someone, one woman I spoke to recently from the I Decide project, she said that also it'd be good to have a list of what the man says in these situations. And what the list involved was things like, uh, no, no, I won't, I won't do that again. Oh, no, I, I didn't mean that. No, I, um, I, I, I'll get better. I'll, I won't, I won't, it won't happen again. You know, there was a whole list of excuses as to why it happened. And that's a common pattern as well. And she, she was talking about that. And I thought, oh, that, that would be a good thing to, yeah. to add on. Yeah. And I think too, that we need to be just going back to thinking also about the impact on children, that as we're sort of finishing off, we need to be really thinking about the fact that This is impacting profoundly on the next generation, bringing children up in an environment where they're living in fear, bringing them up in an environment where they're constantly walking on eggshells, bringing them up in an environment where they're scared to be themselves or to be with one parent or the other, um, are really um, 
has have long term effects. They have their long term effects on their mental and physical health, but also on their attitudes into their future relationships. We know that there's a lot of children who are brought up in violent relationship, you know, in a violent household, or you know, where there's someone perpetrating domestic violence, who go never again. I will not be like that, and aren't. And there's another group where those violent supportive attitudes have become profoundly embedded and they do. So there's not a direct transmission of violence, but sometimes there's a transmission of violent supportive relation, um, attitudes which we do want to counter, we do want to make a difference to, we do want to say no to. Well, that certainly is uncomfortable to hear about, as we promised at the beginning, and it's really important to name what abuse looks like beyond physical abuse. So thank you for giving us those lists and for measuring it. And thank you for making a difference in the lives of children and in helping and supporting fathers and and mothers to actually work towards a more mutually empowering future for all people. Can I continue on? I don't think that we've mentioned the issues of stalking that in fact a lot of people think that once the woman separates that that's the end of it and that her children are safe and she is safe. We know from the Batty, the Rosie Batty case that that's not true and actually she would always say over and over again that she's representative of many, many women in her situation, in her situation and that she speaks for many women who are living with post-separation violence. It involves a lot of stalking and involves a lot of harassment and it involves um, a lot of uh, violence and abuse that's witnessed by children because it often ha- happens at handover at contact. So that we do know that uh, it doesn't all finish with separation and so we need to be thoughtful about the way in which we respond and actually continue to tackle post-separation violence. Yes. Is it true to say, actually, that one of the most dangerous moments for women is when they try to leave a dangerous relationship, which kind of answers the questions about why don't women just get out of these relationships? Yes, that's a very dangerous time. And of course, when I'm teaching practitioners, health practitioners, they sometimes feel frustrated because the woman doesn't leave. And we spend a lot of time on that issue. And and for many women, they just, they actually want to stay. They did at one point, fall in love with this partner. They did have children with them. Sometimes he's not always abusive. So for many of them, their goal is not to leave, but to stay, but for themselves and their children to be safer and for the violence to stop. And so it's, it's responding to the woman's needs. And if she's saying clearly that that's what she wants, then saying that she should leave and not knowing that it's the most dangerous time is, 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 very, is very bad. And so we spend a lot of time in training talking about those issues. Mm. Sounds as though there's still a lot that we need to learn and maybe a lot of topics for us to discuss further on this program. So my guests today were Professor Kelsey Hegarty from General Practice and Professor Cathy Humphreys from the Department of Social Work. They lead the University of Melbourne's Research Alliance for Ending Violence Against Women and Children. If today's episode has triggered any issues for you, please call 1800RESPECT to get support. I'm Katrina Skews-McFerrin. Thanks for listening.